Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we have actual football to talk about as we are well into training camp for the Kansas City Chiefs, so let's get to it. He's been working on getting up some shots in the gym to try and take advantage of this crazy NBA free agency. Jacob Allen is on the podcast. What's going on, man? Not a whole lot. Yeah, as pointed out to me by Marcus Dash, uh, the white guys are finally getting paid in the NBA. He decided to resign his position as the Indianapolis Colts foot doctor after a couple of recent injuries. Sam Black is with us. How are you, man? Yeah, I couldn't bear to live with the fact that I created the second version of the Carson Wentz next polls controversy. So uh, going to go live in a van down by the river. And I am Sean Deegan, and I am still fuming over the fact that Dayton Moore didn't try to trade for literally anybody. Let's get to the topics here, guys, because we've got a lot to talk about. And actually, when we, I, we were working on the rundown, it was one of those things where trying to create questions became difficult because they, the questions can be so wide ranging. Like there was so much going on at training camp. We are now we're recording this on Tuesday, August 3rd. So by the time this drops, it'll be Thursday. We'll probably have a whole new wave of information that's going to affect how we perceive things going forward but we wrapped last week's uh, version of training camp where all practices were unpadded basically just getting everybody uh, in a rhythm starting to implement basic stuff and now as of today the pads have come on and we have started to see a lot more physicality so we wanted to start with some of the standouts that we've heard about to this point obviously none of the three of us are at training camp right now so a lot of the information that we've gotten has come from uh you know Kansas City Sports Network with guys like BJ Kissel and then also like The Athletic with Nate Taylor ESPN Adam Teicher a lot of different uh players uh Matt Derrick who's also in Kansas City Sports Network or the guys on the KC Laboratory all of them have been tweeting as much video and as much information as you could possibly want so it's impossible not to find this stuff if you're looking for it. So all this information is coming from them. Sean, I'd like to cut you off real quick. Um, nobody actually goes to things anymore. So I would like for you to stop discrediting our credibility. <laughs> I didn't discredit our credibility. I just said, we're going to take the information, the videos that they send, and we'll interpret it as such, uh, give our own opinions on it. I'm not giving credit to them for our opinions. I'm just saying that's where we got the video. You're right, though. Getting, getting to training camp would have been a rough go of it this year. So we do want to start with the standouts that have been discussed and that we've seen um, from training camp. Uh, specifically, start with three. If, the, if it expands to more, great. But the three big ones after the first week with no pads and now even in two padded practices that we've heard about being real standouts are Chris Jones, Willie Gay Jr., and Noah Gray. Let's start with Chris Jones, because I think this is the one that, you know, Sam, you've expressed the most concern about it, but I think we've all been at least anxious to see how he looks at a defensive end position. How does he look physically? What are we, what are we going to be able to expect from Chris Jones coming into this season, given that he's splitting time between two positions? Um, now, he did come in lighter again, which seems to be the theme of Chris Jones every training camp. He comes in lighter. This time he came in apparently in his in the his last press conference where they had you know cycling everybody said he came in at about 292 wants to play at about 295 uh, joked about how he's been having a pound Popeyes chicken to try and keep on the weight apparently uh, Nate Taylor out of the athletic talked about how explosive he looks 
There have been some videos that we're going to discuss here to start uh, that I'll, I'll say for just a minute, but just initial impressions, guys, what you thought of Chris Jones. Now that we've had a chance to see him, Sam, I will, I will start with you, given that you voiced the most concern about moving a guy who's amazing at one position to a position of need. What's been your impression so far of, of Chris Jones at training camp? First, I just need to say Chris Jones just needs to get on the uh, reverse Dontari Poe diet where he <laughs> just eats barbecue because apparently that was the, the problem back in the day. But no, I mean, I think I came across a lot of times very dismissive or not believing that Chris Jones would still not likely be a pro bowler and potentially even an all pro playing a defensive end. He is that quality of a player that moving him out there, he's still going to be productive. The issue comes in in that, I mean, like I said, it's that's the position that made him his money, his defensive tackle. Now, I think the nice thing about his play style is he's not a nose tackle that you just expect to eat up the middle of the, the offensive line and needs a lot of weight. He's a very elusive, quick, explosive defensive tackle. So being slimmer, even at the defensive tackle position, probably won't be a negative for him at all. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he's still performing or, or showing out like we always expect him to because he's he's just that quality of a player. And it's just kind of time will tell how – will this be a, a far superior version of what we saw with uh, Glenn Dorsey where he tried to move from defensive tackle out to defensive end and it, he was average at both of them instead of being quality of and obviously Chris Jones would be very good at both of them rather than excellent at one. It's a valid point. Jacob, would, from what you've seen and read from Chris Jones, uh, what's been your reaction to, to his performance so far as early as is in training camp performing very well? Well, I better start by disagreeing with Sam and go back to one of my old favorites that Glenn Dorsey just got put in the wrong system. He would have been a superstar if they just played him in nose tackle in the 3-4, but can't, everything can't work out the way you want. Or sorry, defensive tackle on a 4-3. Off that train, I have shifted perspective just a little bit on the Chris Jones thing. Again, I don't mind him being at an end. I'm starting to almost fear that he's out at the end because they're terrified of their end depth on the team. And they're like, oh, if we at least have Chris Jones out there, we know we've got somebody solid on the outside. I've heard very mixed things about Frank Clark so far. Watching the videos doesn't excite me as far as the limited stuff I've seen on him, but that's where my perspective is at on this now is that they've moved Chris Jones out there, not necessarily because of the Chris Jones play, but because of the fear of play from other guys playing end. I, I totally get that. That and I, I do think that I'm I'd be disingenuous if I didn't think that that was at least part of their discussion. It's like, well, we have Frank Clark, who we expect to be here. We don't really have a, a standout at the other side. Maybe this is the time now that we have Jaron Reed to, to move Jones to end and see what he can do. I absolutely think you're, you're probably right that that's at least part of the discussion. I think that going forward, it's just a matter of does he perform? Like, if, can he justify that move? I do want to get to a couple of the videos specifically that he had against various offensive linemen. The offensive line had a, apparently a their hands full today during training camp and specifically one-on-ones. And then as they move to kind of like seven on nine, seven on seven, Chris Jones, apparently, and not, and you can find the videos, actually, it's not even apparent. You can watch it happen. First, when they were doing one-on-ones, he went up against uh, a couple guys who went against first um, Trey Smith. 
and, and to no one's surprise, taught the rookie a lesson. The more impressive thing was when they moved him out to end and he went against a Pro Bowl caliber player in Orlando Brown. We talked about it before we, we hopped on here because we couldn't help ourselves, but Chris Jones worked Orlando Brown. He gave him an education in what it is to try and handle someone of Chris Jones caliber at the end position. And I do wonder if having Chris Jones out at the end will benefit the tackles just because I think Sam, you've brought it up in the past. How many defensive ends have the power and the force that a Chris Jones have? Um, First, I just want to get your guys reactions to his, his video where he literally put Orlando Brown on the, on the ground and then just pick up from there and how do you think this will affect the tackle performance going forward? Uh, we'll go in reverse order here this time. Jacob, we'll, we'll start with you. I think it brings up an interesting way to rush the passer. You don't see a lot. You don't see it too much of, of an end, you know, his power move being the bull rush. But Chris Jones has certainly made it look like that's going to be just fine for his move because, like you said, the video is coming out He's trying to teach some of the younger offensive linemen a lesson in training camp. And Sam, what about you? When you saw the video of Orlando Brown, how much of it is, wow, Chris Jones may move me a little bit closer to feeling like we're going to have something special on the end. And how much of it is, well, it's training camp. It's early. And do you think this will actually this could really help the tackles down the road going forward? Firstly, I would like to say this is a pro offensive line podcast. <laughs> and because of that, I will let you know, for anyone that has ever played offensive line, they will tell you how much bullcrap just straight sets are with offensive and defensive linemen. When defensive linemen, all they have to do is rush, when they don't have any other responsibility, of, of course they're going to be a de- an offensive lineman. <laughs> they're going backwards, and the defensive lineman just has to go forwards. I, do not, I am not surprised that Chris Jones beat Orlando Brown, even as good as Orlando Brown is, because that is that drill is designed for offensive linemen to lose. I don't care who you are. But <laughs> in reality, yes, it is going to help the defensive tackles because imagine that this is where I see the positive version of Chris Jones. Because when you think about stunt work, um, we talked about last year when we see how, how well some of Spagnuolo's stunts work. Now imagine instead of Frank Clark being the one that's crashing into the inside. It's now Chris Jones, who that is his natural pass lane anyway. So he, it, it, it's obviously a benefit. Anytime you have a player like Chris Jones, and again, this is where I'm, I'm probably counterdicting myself when talking about that I, I'm not excited of him being out there, is he is one of the best defensive players in the NFL. He is going to succeed wherever he plays. It's just the level at which he will succeed. And so – regardless of where you put him, it, it's he's going to do well and he's going to make other players play well. It's, it's similar to, I mean, what we see with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald makes that defense better. Um, and when he's not in there, it's evident what he does. And that's kind of the same with Chris Jones. So, yes, it will make the defensive tackles job easier because, again, they're now having to focus potentially on double teaming a defensive end, not a defensive tackle, which is a big, big aspect. And then on top of that, again, I, I just want everyone to understand that anything you see offensive defensive line within training camp, if it's a one-on-one situation, it, it's an unrealistic depiction of what actually goes on. Because again, the defensive lineman just gets to go as fast as they want. And the offensive lineman have to backpedal to try to stop them. 
I feel educated. I feel very educated right now, and I appreciate that. That yeah, is just a very a, salty uh, offensive line or ex-offensive <laughs> lineman who's had to do that many of times. Yeah, just to piggyback off Sam, I agree because I see the one-on-one rushing videos. I'm like, how unrealistic is this? It's – you know what? I have a question for you guys. What's more unrealistic, the Oklahoma drill or the one-on-one offensive lineman versus defensive lineman? How many times in your life on the football field are – yeah, I've seen the three-on-threes or just the one-on-ones. Are you and the defensive player both going to be on the ground and have to get up from the ground and then try to run each other over? <laughs> See, no it's, not a, it's not a question of if, Jacob. It's a question of when. And you coming, us coming from Ottawa High School, you know you've got to be prepared because when that opportunity comes, you've got to take it. Well, right, exactly. You know, one last thing on the one-on-one offensive line, defensive line drills. We had Creed Humphrey. I mean, there's video out there of him just getting smoked by Treshawn Wharton. It was like, Treshawn Wharton is not going to get that much room to make the move he did against Creed. It was like, it was just unrealistic. It makes me frustrated about even in high school doing those drills. And I remember keeping a guy in front of me, but then being maligned and be like, you gave up way too much room on that one. I was like, what? Okay. Either way, like like Sam said, it's just so unrealistic and not a football drill. It's a football drill that gets used that should not have much weight held to it. I'm really glad I didn't play football now because I feel like I would have definitely been the guy just getting smoked and that would not have <laughs> been a lot of fun. I, I don't think it was about making men. I think it was about exposing men to toxic masculinity and getting to choose which road you were going to go down. Correct. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, let's move to something that maybe holds a little more credence and that's the linebacking crew, specifically Willie Gay. Willie Gay has looked fast to the ball. He has looked crisp in his coverage movements, uh, specifically in zone coverage. He has looked like he has still kept all of the explosiveness, all of the speed and is now starting to iron out some of those rough edges when they've gone 11-on-11, 7-on-7, on 11, on and you're starting to see some things come together. He's picked off Patrick Mahomes once, probably should have been twice so far in camp. Sam, when you've seen Willie Gay's performance, is there any, is there any more credence to his performance that we can take maybe than what we've seen in like offensive, defensive line, one-on-one drills? Yeah, I, I think when you talk about the, the secondary and the linebacking play within the defense, you can glean a lot more off of these type of drills. Not necessarily because, again, it, it's even hard to say this is full speed for these guys. But the this is what we wanted to see out of Willie Gay in that we're not seeing as many mistakes, I don't think. Now, again, we're not watching the entire practice. I'm sure he's still making plenty. He's a second-year player. But – it's it's showing off his athleticism and hopefully it's it's a sign that he's taking that next step because that was our worry I think uh, collectively as a podcast I think is that he would only be one of those athletic freaks and not be able to tie the rest of the game into it so if this is a sign that he's developing his mental game and his understanding of of Spag's defense and then you combine it with his freakish athleticism we're going to have a heck of a player on our hands for sure. Jacob, what about you? When you've seen the, the video and read the reports of Willie Gay and what he's been able to do in camp, what's been your reaction to this point? I think my main reaction is just it is encouraging the amount of snaps he's getting with the ones. They will mix up who's in and who's not. But 
the amount he's been in there has been encouraging because you can even you can compare it to like Nick Bolton. We haven't got to see him all that much with the ones, which is not discouraging, but you just more kind of like oh, same old, same old. You know, the rookies don't get to play on defense, and then they're behind for two or three years. But that's what's encouraging is that he is getting all that time with all the guys, even before the guys all went down. So that's the biggest takeaway I have on it. I also owe him an apology because when we did our, you know, who could be a big time bust, that was my choice, but only because I didn't want to steal your guys's. So Willie Gay, I'm sorry. My bust has changed at this point. I might mention it later on one of our questions. JJ's also mad at you for picking Willie Gay Jr. as a bust. <laughs> I think the part, the video that made me the most excited, because there have been a lot of him so far, because obviously he's going to be a focal point, a second-year player who possesses that kind of athleticism. People want to see what he's going to get to do with a full offseason. That's, that's a big deal. I think the video that made me most excited that he has started to grab concepts is, is his interception video, not because he picked it, but because when he's dropping into coverage, He's initially opened his hips to the left and he's dropping towards the sideline he, he, and pointing at one of the receivers. He passes that receiver off once he realizes that the corner has, has coverage on him and the hip fluidity to then drop and open back towards the center. And even before he starts like a full drop is pointing at the receiver coming across the middle. And I can't remember if it was Pringle or Hardman. It was one of those two. And he's pointing at him. He realizes that guy's coming to his safety, and that's when he breaks. He's coming, that receiver comes to his zone, he breaks towards, towards the receiver, and is there for the interception. It was everything leading up to the interception that excited me the most about him because you could see the processing. I have this man as I'm opening up towards the sideline. Corner has it. Now my responsibility is towards the middle. There's the ball. I have it, and I'm going to take off. It was it looked fantastic. Now, again, it's, it's early in training camp. You don't want to overreact to anything. But to me, that was a beautiful step in the right direction of, okay, it's not just the athleticism that's jumping. The processing looks like it's starting to catch up. And it, as you guys have both said, if, if both of those things click, maybe he's not Derek Johnson where he's got the green dot and he's calling defenses and all of that, but maybe he can possess some of that playmaking ability um, when you talk about the guy with that kind of athleticism and that processing speed. So I don't think we've ever made a bold prediction on, on Willie Gay Jr. as far as a comparison. And I just thought of one. Patrick Willis, maybe? Little, oh. little Patrick Willis has. Oh. The, the way he plays. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. That's what he's, he's starting to remind me of a little bit, just his speed and kind of freakish athleticism at the linebacker position now. Again, oh. slightly different size player, but – I got chills when you said Patrick Willis. It was like not the name that I thought you were going to go with. I was just like, I don't know. I wonder what the bold prediction would be. And then you said Patrick Willis. And oh, man, you want to put Patrick Willis in the middle of this defense. I, oof, goodness, that'd be exciting. I have a quick question towards that, too. Speaking of San Francisco linebackers, what, what do you guys do as a long term, your long term plan with any linebackers that you have? If they turn out to be great, would you pay them the way that Fred Warner got paid this offseason? Yes, for two reasons. One, I think if you have a playmaker at, at any position, if they impact your defense that much, I would keep them. And especially if it's somebody who, I mean, Fred Warner's a little bit different. I'm sure he's probably helping set defenses and things like that. 
I think it sends a message to your locker room as well, that if you have a guy who, you know, obviously does all the things all the right way and performs and stays healthy and all of that, that you will be rewarded. Like we're going to look out for you. Obviously there are situations where guys get hurt and things like that and you don't pay them that much, but I think it would send a good message to your locker room on top of just keeping a guy who can be, you know, different. Again, they have to be kind of different to get that kind of money when you're talking about speed, athleticism, all the things we've talked about, playmaking ability, but I would. Yeah, I think it depends on on what the role the player actually plays is. If we're just looking at him as a playmaker and doesn't contribute as the leader of the defense or, or something of that nature, it's a lot harder to pay him big bucks. But, I mean, we all remember how much of a difference a – an alpha linebacker like Derek Johnson has on the inside of a defense. And if you can get another one um, with our, I mean, relatively young defense. I mean, if you think about it, our defense really has some old pieces, some old pieces, but a lot of it is, is pretty young. And so if you have a young leader that can kind of step in and start to kind of lead them into what they need to be, you, you keep them as at, at as much of a cost as you can afford, I think. What about you, Jacob, to answer your own question? Would you pay a linebacker that kind of money? The off-ball linebacker? I don't know. But, yeah, like you guys said, if you have somebody that's a massive playmaker, then I'm all on board with it. But if it's – I don't uh, – I guess I haven't watched Fred Warner enough, so I don't want to make any large assumptions about the guy because, to me, I feel like he's a very good all-around linebacker. But – I just don't know if I could. It would kind of scare me kind of like in the running back talks we've had in the past. Yeah, I get that. I think that if you have an elite playmaker, not even has to be elite, but even a very good playmaker, even if they don't have necessarily the green dot, like let's say Nick Bolton's the one that's calls a defense. Would we really be that upset if Nick Bolton is out there, you know, getting things set? He still makes plays, but that if Willie Gay Jr. is the one that's flying around, putting up, you know, 120, 140 tackles in a season and putting away four to six sacks in a year, interception or something like that. I do think that if you have a linebacker who can move like Willie Gay Jr. and can make plays to a Fred Warner or or Patrick Willis level, I think even if they're not calling the defense, I think the impact that player has and what it allows the rest of your defense to do and for you not to have to pull a guy off the field on third down, even if he is, you know, 240, 250 pounds, I think adds a, a lot of variety, a lot of flexibility for what you're able to do with different defensive fronts. You know, right now they've been running Willie Gay Jr. basically in nickel and dime uh, packages as your linebacker. So if he's able to do all of those things, even if he's not calling the defense, I, I still think you would, I would pay him. All right, last guy for the standouts here, and then we'll move on to maybe a little more varied discussion. Noah Gray. Now, we haven't seen or heard as much about him since the pads have come on, but when Travis Kelsey uh, went down, when, and went down to strong waves, when they took him off the field just to be safe, essentially, when he felt some tightness in his back and his hips, they went to Noah Gray running with the ones the entire time. And from what we've been able to hear, the offense has not missed a beat with him on the field. Granted, maybe not hasn't exploded to the level as it would with a Travis Kelsey, but 
a fifth round pick at tight end as has clearly outperformed maybe the expectations you might have coming into his rookie year in his first NFL training camp. So again, without trying to overreact too much, but uh, Sam, we'll start with you. What's been your reaction to the news and video out there about Noah Gray? It's definitely a positive, especially coming off of him being compared to Travis Kelsey. The fact that he can come out and, and play pretty well with the ones is, is a good sign to say the least. I mean, again, it's hard to training camp so hard to judge because you're playing one-on-one with your other team, with, with your own team. And it's obviously, I don't think anyone's really at full speed at this point, but it's definitely a strong sign. Um, I I'm never going to go out and say fifth round rookie is Travis Kelsey's equal or even close to it, but it's definitely a, a sign that, hey, if, if for whatever reason he has to come out, we have a competent tight end that can go in and actually catch the ball, which we've been lacking for a while. Jacob, what about you? The news about Noah Gray coming in and, and being able to hold his own um, as a fifth-round pick after Travis Kelsey goes down, how did that make you feel? What was your reaction to his performance thus far? Like I've said in the past, the Chiefs are just going to have to get better and better with the late-round picks, so – I think it's encouraging that they're getting value out of those picks. And again, he was someone that I was pretty excited about just watching the raw highlights of him and seeing the way he could run routes. So not overly surprised here. He's doing all right. And it is pretty interesting, again, just in the same theme of who's going with who reps wise, of that you don't, we haven't heard anything like, ah, Blake Bell is taking over for Travis Kelsey's snaps. So that's, again, what interests me about it. Yeah, I think the, the best thing is uh, Nate Taylor on there on the podcast Times Ours that he does with Seth Kaiser and Josh Briscoe at The Athletic talked about how sometimes when you get a draft pick, he's this beautiful white horse initially running on the beach and you just think it's, it's perfect and beautiful and you get him in the training camp and you realize it's a mule um, or just a donkey. And the best thing he talks about in every podcast at this point when Noah Gray's been performing is Noah Gray's still a beautiful white horse as far as we know. So Uh, just to come back real quick for on that saying, I would much rather have a mule way more expensive than a white horse. (laughs) Probably way more uh, useful as well, too, if you want to use him as a pack mule. I, I do think that having Noah Gray does allow for a lot of flexibility in your offense. And if he can continue to take the lessons he's, He's clearly been absorbing to this point. Um, and as the pads come on and things get more physical and the speed of the game starts to accelerate, obviously preseason games, we might get the best look at him, at least initially. Okay, how much of this have you absorbed thus far? But I'd love to see more double tight sets. I'd love to see, you know, if Jody Fortson wants to continue to perform the way he's been performing as your third tight end, do some, I, I love, I mean, again, 2K5 reference, but I love running three tight end sets in 2K5. It's my favorite. So just for me, it would be fun. But I, I think to your point, Sam, having someone that can spell Travis Kelsey is really the key. And if you can have somebody that even just for a series can let Travis Kelsey get a breather, keep him healthy for the long haul, that's a huge win out of a fifth round pick. Sean, I do I do have to ask, who were your three tight ends? My assumption is something like Tony G, Antonio Gates, and somebody else. Well, here's that's how those games work. Here's the fun thing. Antonio Gates wasn't very good initially in that game because they didn't realize who he was yet. So 
The first season when I don't really have much cap room, my three tight ends are Tony Gonzalez, Jason Dunn, and Chris Wilson, which the Chiefs could do, but it would be good. Like you could actually have a quote unquote secret weapon like a Jody Fordson or a Noah Gray, the way Carl Peterson wanted him to be, you know, even if it's Blake Bell, he's your Jason Dunn role, the big blocking tight end. And then Noah Gray is your Chris Wilson role, but it works this time around. So I, I, those are my three at the time. Now, after that, you know, you go get Jeremy Shockey and Todd Heap, and then you run three tight that whole, the whole way. And every time they start to drop safeties, that's when you just run uh, strong pitch, right with priest Holmes and that was it and you can Sean, get can you can you still play xbox live espn 2k5 because i feel like if you can you're unbeatable <laughs> here's here's the thing i'm so bad at gaming it hurts like this is why i play original xbox games because all this new stuff and these kids out here no scope sniping people and I can't even figure out, you know, which sniper is the best sniper rifle is the best to use. And I, I, that's why I quit, man. I was like, I'm going to play old games that people who are old and spirit like me can keep up with. That's why I play because I'm so bad at it. All right. Speaking of other personal battles in life, how's that for a transition? Let's look at the secondary here, because I think this has been maybe the most intriguing position group really since the preseason or even um, offseason started. To this point, the Chiefs have been completely content with the guys that they have. I think the best sign that you can take from this and, and give credit to the Chiefs and assume that they were right is that both DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes have been basically a full go since training camp started. Maybe not the rookie mini camps or anything like that, but basically from the time training camp started, they have been running with ones and twos the entire time, which leads us to believe right now that it's one of those guys for that third cornerback position. When I say third corner right now, it seems like Charvarius Ward is running at right corner. Legereus Sneed is running at left. And then on nickel and dime packages, Legereus Sneed's kicking down into the slot. And then either Baker or Hughes comes out to play outside. So when you talk about third corner, really it's going to be another starting outside corner with how much the Chiefs play nickel. Out of the two of these guys, like what's, what's been your guys' perception? Who is there a guy you would think would present more upside, more benefit long-term to if they can actually win the starting job? And do you think that maybe they could bump a guy like Ward for time and take over that CB2 role? So Jacob, I'll come to you here first on this one. I think we're in a pretty similar spot to where we talked about last week on this one. Uh, to answer, firstly, your question, obviously you want the cheapest players to be your guys that win. So that would be guys that you have under control under rookie-type deals, which, honestly, thinking about it, I'm not sure who it is. I think a couple of them are on one-year prove-it deals. So if they play really well, you'll have to pay them, but – so whoever's under the most control is who you'd want to win. But I do think, you know, it's kind of shook out so far the way we've already talked about with, you know, Sneed and Ward being their top two and then just rotating in those other guys between Hughes, Baker, and uh, Fenton. And I think we've seen that with what the reps are that guys are getting at this point. 
Sam, what about you? Is there a guy out of those two that you, you think presents more upside if they're able to take control of that, that second outside corner position? And do you think eventually one of them might be able to move Javarius Ward and, and take over that outside spot? I can't speak a whole lot on which of Baker or Hughes I would prefer. I just haven't watched enough of Hughes to really get an understanding of what his play style actually is. But I think the fact that both those guys are getting such significant time is very telling because you have to think both of them are coming off injury with DeAndre Baker obviously having that nasty leg uh, leg injury last year with the break and then Mike Hughes had a neck injury, kind of nagging neck injury. And neither of them have been in the system as long. I mean, DeAndre Baker got last year, obviously, but still it's only a year in and they're running significant amount of time with the ones. I, I think that says a lot about both of them. And I, I honestly could see it occurring where Ward is slowly phased out because, again, Ward is, has been an incredibly serviceable cornerback and, and played very well at times. But we've seen him hit his flaws. We've seen him get picked on. We've seen where his limitations are. And these are two guys that were drafted pretty highly in the first round for a reason. That's because they have an incredible amount of skill. And so if they start picking the playbook up um, and both remain healthy or or kind of regain their health, I could honestly see both of them slowly work their way into the starting, I guess, three, if you want to talk Snead, obviously, is kind of your one. And then uh, whoever takes out the outside and then the nickel. So I could definitely see it because you're seeing two young players that don't have a lot of experience with the system, both injured, getting a lot of time. I, I think that is very telling. Yeah, my, my point was going to be, I was going to cheat on my own question is that, and say, I hope they both do. I hope they both beat out Ward. And not because, I, to your point, Sam, I don't, not that I don't think Ward is a, a valuable piece and a good player, but I think we kind of know what Charvarius Ward is. We know he's a, a physical corner that if he gets his hands on you, you're going to have a tough time. But if he doesn't and you can get behind him, he, he's not going to locate the ball to be able to make a play and it's really just going to be does the corner does the quarterback not the cornerback but the quarterback make a good enough pass that he can take advantage of that um to emphasize your your point sam about guys them both getting ample time with the ones you know deandre baker yeah he had some time last year but he didn't even come in till late you know he spent some time on the practice squad just to get acclimated with the team before he even made it like this is his first real full season with the chiefs because he came in late last year um so it's it is interesting to see how much time they are getting with the ones and and maybe it's something like they're doing with trey smith where it's like let's just throw him to the fire and see if what we've got but both of those guys i think the fact that they have gotten as much time in a starting role is impressive now the second position battle is slightly less surprising maybe more expected and that's at the wide receiver position and specifically for uh, wide receiver three based on article that Nate Taylor wrote earlier this offseason and kind of what we've all expected with the departure of Sammy Watkins McCole Hardman is getting a lot of time at the what the what would technically be considered the x position the wide receiver two and apparently has performed well um, up to this point. We'll see again how the pad, what happens with the pads come on, but all reports are, are solid to this point. Um, the big fight has been between Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle for that third wide receiver position. 
And according to Nate Taylor, uh, in a recent article on The Athletic, Byron Pringle has outperformed Jamarcus Robinson to this point. Not, not, you know, significantly, maybe. I have to go back and read the exact wording, but he has the edge is kind of the, the way it's been presented to us as the reader and consumer. Because he's a local graduate uh, from the esteemed K-State, uh, there you go, Jacob, your K-State reference for the day. Uh, and because he has been a fan favorite of mine, like that's that's for that's for the year, Sean. For the year, good. Okay, glad. I'm glad that's that his one. One for the year. Jayhawks get one a year. K State gets one a year. The problem is there is more stories about K State players. They just get one because we only get one because there's like one KU player in the NFL over the last like decade. But I do I didn't want to get your guys' reaction to Byron Pringle being talked about as as a quality performer to this point and you know, get your guys' thoughts, you know, what might he have to do to push himself into the wide receiver two position? Um, Jacob, well, since he's your your fellow K-State alum, I will let you take first crack at it. What's been your reaction to Byron Pringle's performance? I would like to be excited, but I think this is going to be the position that we go into, you know, some of the earlier weeks and some wide receiver that wasn't expected to be cut or put on free agency much much like the Le'Veon Bell slash LaShawn McCoy situation happens. And we're like, oh man, the Chiefs have got to go get that person because they need a true wide receiver too. That's where my excitement level is to answer your question uh, as far as Byron Pringle, just because I think he is just kind of a limited guy, just athletically. The word I keep always coming back to is rigid. He just seems rigid in what he does. It doesn't seem like he can really break off insane routes but he is a big body dude that can go catch balls so at the same time you don't want to say he's super limited so that's where i'm at on it i think the better shot to take the wide receiver to is is powell i from what i've watched again in limited videos in you know actual drills and things is powell's kind of doing what I thought he would of not really getting guys too crazy far away from him, but just going and getting the ball from people. Sam, what about you? What's been your reaction to Byron Pringle's performance thus far based on what we've heard? And do you think there's any way he can move himself into the conversation for a wide receiver two position? As far as the wide receiver two position, probably not. I, I think that is unfortunately McCall Hardman's position to lose right now. And out of, out of, you want to look at McCall Hardman, Byron Pringle, and Demarcus Robinson. McCall Hardman is the most talented of three. Um, their positive review of McCall Hardman, <laughs> you're welcome. Whether of him beating out Demarcus Robinson for uh, wide receiver three, I think that's a pretty strong shout because at the end of the day, Demarcus Robinson's basically a worse version of Tyreek Hill and, and McCall Hardman. And I don't know if we need to run three of the same player on the field at the same time. Byron Pringle at least brings something slightly different. Again, I, I'm there with Jacob. Not super excited about it. I like Byron Pringle. I think he's a good kind of gadget piece to throw in there every now and then. But I, I would fully hope Cornell Powell is the one that takes – is the third receiver running with the offense. Um, if not something where you're running a, a Travis Kelsey or even a Noah Gray as your third receiver, just to give you something different, just to give you a, a different kind of player besides just small and fast, which is what we've kind of lived off of for a long time. And Sean, I realized I didn't answer your question about being wide receiver number three and beating Demarcus Robinson. 
The only thing he has to do is not run backwards and carry the, the ball like it's a bread, a loaf of bread. Those are the two things. I will say Cornell Powell and Byron Pringle, I was looking at their combine results. Well, Byron Pringle's combine and, and Cornell Powell's pro day results just to get an idea of like, okay, well, that's, that's a valid point. How far apart are they in terms of overall scores? And really they're not that different, even size-wise. Like Byron Pringle's 6'1", 203, Cornell Powell's 6'1", 6 feet, 204. Uh, Pringle had a 4'4", 640. Cornell Powell had a 4.540. Even broad jump is, is basically the same. Now, I will say uh, Cornell Powell's short area quickness is a little bit better. Uh, the 20-yard 20 20 shuttle, he had a 4'2". Byron Pringle had a 4'4". And Cornell, or excuse me, Cornell Powell had a three-inch higher vertical than Byron Pringle did. So there is a little bit more explosivity to exploit with Cornell Powell, but I, do th- I don't want to shortchange Byron Pringle too much because I do think he brings a lot of, maybe not to the extent that Cornell Powell does. We'll see. You know, Cornell Powell obviously played at a, a, the highest level uh, with Clemson, but I wonder what... I don't want to shortchange Byron Pringle in terms of athleticism because it's there. I get your guys' points. It's like, okay, well, we kind of have seen a little bit more of him. So let's let's take it with a grain of salt for now and see what what we're what we get as we go forward. Third down, kind of want to do a bit of a look ahead. And Jacob, I, I apologize. I've not turned it back over to you for the uh, the transitions thus far between topics. So if you'd like to here, I'll let you go ahead for for our next topic, which is third down. Uh, you know, I actually licensed it and trademarked it. So now I can't do it without being paid. And we're still waiting <laughs> on our sponsors. Well, it's, it is our third down question, our third down topic, which is, as we mentioned, padded practices did start this week. By the time this drops, it'll have been going on for, it'll be its third day or to start the third day of, of padded practices. And I did want to get your guys' thoughts on now the pads have come on. We've gotten one day of practice so far. What are the things that you want to see going forward in padded practices? Uh, you know, this is coming from a guy, I didn't play football in, in, at any level. So I'm not even really always sure what we can glean. So even hearing about the one-on-one, Sam, I know you kind of, you brought it up as semi-jokingly, but mo- in, in a semi-joking manner as a serious topic, but that is educational to me. So as somebody who hasn't ever played football and participated in a training camp, when the pads come on, what are the things that you would hope to see from the team going forward? Um, Sam, I'll come to you first here. It's kind of a conversation. You, you can almost look at it like what you were, you were talking, running down Byron Pringle and, and Cornell Powell's physical stats, what they, what they performed as in, in the underwear Olympics. When the pads come on, it, it changes a lot. And players, I mean, again, I, I'm not trying to get trying to avoid hating on McCole Hardman, but he's just the one that I'm targeting right now. When you put pads on a guy who's just really fast, that changes a little bit because now people can hit you. And now you have to work around the pads. You're not just getting to run. You're not just getting to be a track star, which is what we've seen with lots of guys. I mean, we see lots of combine heroes every year that look like, oh my gosh, this is a Greek god of a human. And they come into the NFL and they look like Homer Simpson. Like they don't understand how to play football when they get the pads on. They're just really fast. So it it really where 
plays the biggest role is the, is the players that know how to play football. And that's, that's where I think the difference between a Byron Pringle and a, and a Cornell Powell is to kind of wrap, bring it full circle here is I think Cornell Powell has to what I've watched again, I have watched relatively limited film of him other than just kind of highlight tapes. He, he has more of a, he's a football player. Let's put it that way. He, he looks like when you watch him play, he gets, he gets open out of nowhere. He, he kind of does the same similar situations like what Travis Kelsey does. And like what Jacob said, Byron Pringle a lot of times looks very stiff. He looks like he is a very athletic individual, but doesn't transition or translate that athleticism into the game of football as well. So that's where I think you'll see a lot of it. The offensive line do benefit a lot. And where I'm excited the most is Jacob's prediction of running the ball. Are we going to turn into more of a physical running team with the offensive line that we've had lined up? Because again, we haven't even mentioned the fact that my kind of steal of the draft, Trey Smith, has been starting with the ones for a good portion of this training camp. I have very limited amounts on this one. So I think after I say my one thing, you just throw it right back to Sam to talk about Trey Smith. But uh, Sam, my question to you, you know, a rhetorical question really is, so you're telling me that D'Anthony Thomas is not the next Tyreek Hill because I'm still waiting on it. D'Anthony <laughs> Thomas right. and Dexter McCluster are not the next Tyreek Hill. I'm sorry. Oh, the greatest tweet of all time. <clears throat> but uh, Jacob, is there, Sam, I'm going to come right back to you on Trey Smith here because to your point, we haven't talked about Trey Smith at all and he has been running with the ones he has been talked about as being a wildly physical player and kind of the next thought the next topic I want to talk about is like who do you think is going to benefit or that we're going to be able to glean the most from once the pads come on it sounds like you're leaning towards a guy like Trey Smith who is known for his physicality yeah I I think when you look at guys like Trey Smith Lucas Niang who's been getting some time at right tackle those are the kind of players that I think start to benefit because their play style is very physical. Um, I think Lucas Nang's kind of in between, but Trey Smith specifically is, is a very physical guard run dominant. I mean, he's kind of an all around guard. That's why I like that pick so much, even with the health issues, but I think he'll benefit a lot and maybe get a little payback on some of the defensive players that have kind of started embarrassing people when the run game starts to come into play a little bit more, but that's I would say that's my biggest is some of the younger younger offensive linemen because again pass blocking is a very complicated thing especially when defensive linemen know you're passing when they get to run the ball a little bit it, it changes quite a bit I think you'll see better better play out of these young offensive linemen because they're able to kind of they got something to grab onto holding happens every again let me peel back the curtain of the offensive line for you guys Holding happens on every single play by every single offensive lineman on the field. We just hope not to get flagged by it. When the pads come on, it makes it that much easier to hold. So, To emphasize your Trey Smith point, two things on him. One, even before the pads came on, he apparently missed the memo that no one's supposed to be on the ground, and he pancaked multiple people, including poor little Dan Sorensen. And second, one-on-ones, again, to your point, Sam, there might not be a whole lot you can glean from – offensive line players except in Trey Smith's case on two fronts he took on Jaron Reed and Chris Jones two reps apiece back to back the first time on each of them he got beat cold he got beat cold and the second time on each of them he protected 
he made adjustments and he was able to hold his own against two of the better interior players that the NFL has to offer. One of the best defensive players in the league currently in Chris Jones. So I think uh, uh, Chris Trey Smith is actually going to be one of my guys. It was like the pads come on. I want to, my eyes are on him because of how physical he is. And if he can continue to make adjustments, like I saw in the one-on-ones when you have, you know, Miang to your right or Remmers to your right, if Remmers comes back after his, he's been out with some back spasms, but whoever's on his right and Creed Humphrey on his left and you have a little more help, it's scary to think what he might be able to do. So if he can continue to uh, make the adjustments, I think he might be the guy that benefits most from pads just because of his physicality. All right. And last thing here for tonight, and we'll wrap things, is our fourth down topic, which little have a little fun with this but it is something that we all do and we've tried not to and you guys i think are much better about not doing this than i am because one you have experience having played football and two you guys are just both naturally more level-headed people than i am and i tend to overreact an awful lot to things that i see or do um, or that other people do so when i see uh chris jones take Orlando Brown and just kind of set him on the ground with his left left arm, my heart jumps a little bit and I get very excited. So for each of us, I did want to get what's one thing that if we see, whether good or bad, that we will try not to overreact to as we now move into actual padded training camps going forward. Um, Jacob, I'll come to you here first on this one. Before we jump to that, I do want to point out there are not very many Chris Jones in the NFL. So Thankfully, Orlando Brown would not be going against Chris Jones' caliber players consistently. But there's one thing not to overreact because I wanted to have that same overreaction that you did on him. Uh, But, you know, I leveled it by saying, oh, you know what? There's like two guys of this caliber, basically. Two to five at most. Like, I, I can see somebody being like, Here's three other guys that can play just as good as this guy. But that list could not go any longer than five. Anyway, my promise and hope is to not overreact on Juan Thornhill because he's starting to worry me just health-wise. And, again, we said last week his ability to play football. I mean, anybody's ability is based on their health. But it seems really, really like for him that when he's been healthy, he's great. When he's not, he's not the same guy. He's almost – and I'm – Sorry to do this to Sean, but Sean, longtime Bulls fans, he's starting to turn into a Derrick Rose on the Chiefs. So when he's oh. in, he's great. When he's out, you know, it's <laughs> just like, oh, same old story. Sam, what about you? What's one thing that if you see it happen or hear about it happening on or off the field that you're not going to try to over, you're not going to overreact to when it comes to the Chiefs? Uh, the quarterback controversy between Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I, there's not a lot I from playing football at least at a semi-high level at playing it in college uh, though a smaller college I understand that the training camp that the the two-a-days and stuff like that a lot of it you do take with a grain of salt because it is kind of a hype machine because at the end of the day what the Chiefs are doing is generating buzz right now that all the videos you see all of this it's it's a lot of buzz and it's it's trying to generate hype for, for the season coming up um, I guess if I was going to choose one, it actually would probably be trying not to get overhyped with Trey Smith because, again, he's a rookie. 
And as good as he's playing and, and or seems to be playing and, and, and how well he's kind of integrating and, and his health is holding up, it, it's hard to tell what, what will actually come when he's playing another team, when he's playing guys that – and it is full speed. Because that's the other thing is a lot of times, even though they may say training camp, they're going full speed, it, it's hard to, to go full speed in training camp. I don't really care who you are. Um, what level of football you play you're when you're playing against your own team and it's not it's not easy to just unless you're just trying to embarrass people but uh, I, I think it's it's hard to overreact to a lot of it for me sorry to buzzkill your question but uh, I, I think I just kind of look at it in a slightly different light but I'll go with I'll go with me not trying to overreact and be too excited about Trey Smith even though I do think he's going to be a stud. Yeah, I think my I need the thing I need to just not overreact to are extremes. So because that's that's what always gets me is if like Willie Gay Jr. has a great camp and he caps it off by picking off Patrick Mahomes, my thought is, oh my God, he's Derek Johnson. Like that's my reaction. Or um, if if uh, Cornell Powell has a bad day on the field and you know is is getting yelled at and ripped on by you know any a coach or Andy Reid or anybody else like that my overreaction is gonna be god what a bust like that's that's my natural inclination is to overreact to the those those swings uh so my my promise is I will attempt not to re- overreact to those and then also to kind of emphasize your point Jacob any soft tissue injuries like uh Travis Kelsey had where he was you know precautions are taken and it's like that's our guy let's get him off the field there's no no need to work him this hard in the first practice and try to fight through an injury don't i will say sean i'm all that's one i've overreacted to already it's the tendonitis in the knee of tyree kill i'm just like man they've got to find more receiving options soon because it's scaring me thinking about their guys getting older each year and you know just what wide receivers will we wind up with yeah, and I, I actually had that conversation about Tyreek specifically earlier with a former coworker about it. Uh, so uh, I told him that I'll ask me again tomorrow how I'm feeling about it because right now I'm ignoring my natural inclination and I'm going to be fine. All right, everybody, that'll do it for us here. We appreciate you joining us here on another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. Training camp's going to be a lot of fun. Whether you're a level-headed person like Sam or you overreact to literally everything the way I do, or if you're somewhere in the middle like Jacob, it's always going to be a ball. And we have a lot to look forward to and a lot I'm sure to talk about as we move forward. And just remember, everyone, offensive line lives matter too. <laughs> so just, just, and we're, again, offensive linemen pro podcast. Sean, or sorry, not Sean, Sam, all football players' lives matter. <laughs> oh my God. All right, y'all. Until next time, stay safe out there and we'll talk to you next week.